Willem. Greetings in the wonderful name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. What a joy it in, indeed it is to um, be with you every Sunday, just to, 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 to look to the Lord who holds us fast and hear from him um, as he speaks to us from his word. We continue with our study of James, and we are in James chapter 5. We're going to look at James chapter 5, verse 1 to 6, on the title of The Dangers of Wealth Without God. The Dangers of Wealth Without God. James chapter 5, verse 1 to 6. Let's hear God's word. Come now, you rich. Weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you. And their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. This is God's word. Amen. Let us pray. Lord, your word is true. It is sufficient. It is given by you. It bears your authority. And as we hear it, O oh God, we pray that you give us hearts that are marked by, characterized by submission to your word. That when we hear from you, we will say, indeed, the Lord has spoken. We pray, Father, that you lead us to yourself. Shape our hearts, shape our minds, and draw us in your presence. In the precious name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, we pray this. Amen. Let me ask you a question. Would you like to be rich? <laughs> a few of you would, would, not, would, would say, no, it doesn't interest me. Many would say, of course I want to be rich. One wise guy said this. He says, they say it's better to be poor and happy than rich and miserable. But couldn't something be worked out such as being moderately wealthy and just a little moody. You see, as Christians, we, we know that the Bible has many warnings against the dangers of pursuing wealth. Like, just for example, think about 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 9 to 10. For example, the, the Apostle Paul warns the believers there. He says, but those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires will plunge men, which plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money 
is the root of all sorts of evil. And some, by longing for it, have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. But most of us read this passage and, and, and we think, but I could handle it, or at least I'd like to try. You know, God, test me. I mean, you've been testing me with trials and, and stuff like, test me with a million dollars. It seems more uh, that uh, as, if, if, as if more money would solve a whole lot of our problems, right? But we forget, we often forget that wealth can create a whole lot of problems as well. One of the best commentaries I've ever read on the problems of wealth was not a sermon. It was not a Christian book, but it was a novel. It was not even written by a Christian author, but by the famous writer John Steinbeck. I don't know if you know him. Um, it is called The Pearl. It's a story of a poor pearl diver who dreams of finding the perfect pearl. One day he actually finds it. The rest of the story unfolds um, how his once tranquil, peaceful life turns into a growing nightmare as everyone else desperately tries to take his treasure from him. I think every Christian would benefit from reading this powerful little story. In our text here, James assumes the role of an Old Testament prophet, thundering against the ungodly rich who, who oppress the poor. The, the words of our, of our text are not an appeal to repentance. I mean, you've heard as we were reading it, right? It, it, there's no appeal for repentance here. But rather, it's a scathing denunciation of wrath to come. James is actually saying, wrath is surely coming and you cannot stop it. Uh, while there are many, there, there, there may have been some professing Christians in the churches in which James wrote to who were guilty of the sins he confronts here. His main target was the ungodly reach outside the church. Uh, this is evident both in his prediction of judgment to come and also in his shift in verse 7 when he addresses those in the church as brothers. You'll notice that in, this verse, in, 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 in these six verses, he doesn't call them brothers. And he's talking about judgment that is truly coming that will not be stopped. It is coming so fast like a car without brakes. Without brakes. Why would James spend six verses denouncing those who are outside the church? People who will probably never read the words of James. It's similar to when Old Testament prophets pronounced woes on Israel's pagan enemies, right? Consider Isaiah chapter 13 to chapter 19. Um, Isaiah uh, pronounces woes against the pagan nations. The, the, the warnings that James is giving here serve two main purposes. First, they should encourage us who know God to be faithful and endure, knowing that in due time he will judge the wicked. And secondly, it should warn us not to fall into any of the sins that will bring judgment on the wicked. 
in the case James is, is addressing, it is easy when you are poor and oppressed to think, if I can just get rich, I will no longer have to deal with these problems. So, so we can be tempted to pursue wealth, uh, mistakenly thinking that happiness lies in getting rich. So to the church, James is saying, because wealth can be a dangerous trap, we should be careful not to use it in an ungodly manner, but rather to be faithful with it if God has so blessed us with it. What we see here in these six verses, James presents two important ways to think about wealth. First, <clears throat> wealth can be a dangerous trap that leads people to eternal destruction. Secondly, we should be careful not to use wealth in an ungodly manner. Look at, let us look at the first one. Wealth can be a dangerous trap that leads people to eternal destruction. Right? I know it's a long point, right? Uh, wealth can be a dangerous trap that leads people to eternal destruction. Uh, the Bible does not teach that money itself is evil. Right? Uh, people mistakenly quote first um, Timothy chapter 6 and they say, the, uh, they say money is the root of all evil. But that passage actually does not say money is the root of all evil. It says the love of money. Right? So that, those are two different things. Uh, but rather, when we, when, we, when we come to see that money itself is not evil, we should come to see that it is extremely dangerous when it falls into the hands of those who are prone to sin. Jesus calls it, in, in, in Luke chapter 16, verse 9 and 11, the unrighteous mammon. Because those who get their hands on it often use it sinfully. They do not use it in a God-honoring way. Money is like a loaded gun, right? It can be extremely useful in certain situations, especially in our crime-ridden country, right? <laughs> but, but you've got to use it carefully or you may hurt others and yourself. Or to use another analogy, money is like fire. Used properly and under control, fire is a helpful tool, right? But if it, if it is used carelessly and with, with evil intent, it can become a powerful force that destroys both property and life. When combined with the fallen, greedy, selfish human heart, money can quickly corrupt. That's why Jesus said in Matthew chapter 19, verse 23, 24, after, after the rich young ruler walked, up to, walked away from, from salvation, um, Jesus looks at his disciples and says to them, truly I say to you, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the needle of an eye, uh, to, through the eye of a needle, than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were astonished at Jesus and, and said, then who can be saved? Jesus replied to them in, in Matthew chapter 19, verse 26. He says, with people, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. In, in other words, it takes, it takes nothing less than the power of God to save us from the dangers of greed and selfishness that are bound up with wealth. James shows us in this point three ways that wealth can become a trap that leads to, to spiritual destruction. 
First of all, to be rich without God is to be short-sighted in light of eternity. James's readers who were mostly poor and oppressed may be thinking to themselves, why be righteous if, it all, if, it, if, if all it gets you is oppression? Why not pursue wealth if it gains you some comfort? James's answer, because, uh, James's answer here to them is because judgment is ahead. He, he begins in verses 1 to 3. Look at what he says. He says, come now, you rich. Weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded. And their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. James is forcefully making the point that wealth is temporary and judgment and eternity are ahead. So to pursue wealth to the neglect of pursuing God or to trust in wealth as the solution of your deepest needs is sheer fully. It is foolishness. As James pointed, uh, uh, pointedly said, the mammon the of unrighteousness will fail. Actually, Jesus, in, in Luke chapter 16, verse 9, right? The, mam, the mammon of unrighteousness will fail. Therefore, we must use it wisely in light of the reality of eternity. In James's time, there were three main indicators of wealth. James uses three terms to point to the temporary nature of each. First, there was grain. You could store it up in large bins and, and silos. Right? We, last week, we spoke about that man who, who, who built bigger barns to, to store his grain. And James says in verse 2 here, your riches have rotted. Second, there was clothing. Right? In a world where most of the poor only had the clothes on their backs, it was a sign of wealth to have more than one change of clothes. The Apostle Paul could claim that he had converted no one's money or clothes in Acts chapter 20 verse 33. And James here echoes Jesus' words who warned that clothes are subject to ruin and moths. Third, there were gold and silver. James knew, of course, that these metals are not subject to literal rust. But he is using irony here to make a point. When God brings judgment, even these precious metals will be doomed to corruption. When James says in verse 3, you have laid up treasure in the last days, he is referring to the entire period between Christ's ascension and his second coming, which is viewed uh, um, in, 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 in the Bible as the last days. Uh, but death is also the last days for all of us. As the rich fool in, in Jesus' parable found out, he had plenty stored up for his life. But when he died, he was poor where it mattered the most. He was not rich toward God. So to be rich without God is to be short-sighted in light of eternity. Again, James shows us that to be rich without God gives temporary comfort and ease, but long-term misery. 
temporary comfort and ease, but long-term misery. The, the ungodly rich mistakenly think that they are relieving themselves and their families from hardships through their wealth and possessions. But, but James says that they are storing up miseries and, and hardships for the final judgment. The, the, the very thing that they trust in for comfort now will result in their final ruin. The Bible commands us to, to provide, right, the necessities of life for our families and ourselves. And there, there is nothing wrong, if I should continue saying this, there is nothing wrong with living comfortably. There's nothing wrong. We, 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 can do, we, we can do much more to, to serve the Lord, though, when, when life is not uh, a constant struggle just to survive. Think about the, the progress of technology, right? Modern labor-saving conveniences such as washing machines and dishwashers and lawnmowers and even cars, uh, if they work properly, uh, they, they help free up time for family and ministry that would otherwise be spent working. Some of these conveniences are very helpful to get us through the busyness of life. These things become a problem when they begin to control us instead of us controlling them. Uh, think about this, and, uh, and this is also a conviction to me. A phone is a useful tool, right? It, 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 but it can become a controlling master. Many Christians waste many hours on their phones, neglecting time with God time with their families and, and time serving God. Uh, James is warning that it is, it is possible to enjoy the comforts of life without God. But if we fall into that, those comforts become a snare. Then he shows us again that to be rich without God provides short-term advantages but long-term loss. Uh, do you hear that? Short-term advantages, long-term loss. You see, with wealth comes power. But as someone said, power corrupts. Absolute power does what? Corrupts absolutely. Throughout history, corrupt dictators have amassed amazing power and wealth for themselves and their families. Think about presidents especially African presidents, right? Who spend all their lives amassing wealth for themselves and their families instead of serving their countries. They are often deluded, thinking that they will live forever in this world. In fact, um, I don't think I'm the only one. Some have even... Uh, I don't think I'm the only one who've heard this. Some of these presidents have even said that they will become presidents until Jesus comes. Uh, what is happening in their minds is that they have become so deluded by these material things that they've amassed that they forgot about the brevity of life. It doesn't matter if you live up, up to 100 years old, up to 90 years old, you're still going to die. And unfortunately, they, it seems, 
were not preparing for eternity. They were like farm animals, like barn animals. They, are, they, they, they were fattening themselves, fattening their hearts for the day of slaughter. Although James does not direct any exhortation to his readers, his denunciation of the ungodly rich provides an obvious application for us to follow the Lord. So we saw that the first um, important way to think about, about wealth is that wealth can be a dangerous trap that leads people to eternal destruction. Uh, and the second important way to think about wealth is that we should be careful not to use wealth in an ungodly manner. We, we should be careful not to use wealth in an ungodly manner. Since misuse of wealth will bring a person into horrible judgment, that will make him weep and howl in misery, as we see in verse 1, we should make sure that we do not profess to know God, but by our ungodly use of wealth deny him, as Titus chapter 1 verse 16 says. Although there are many, there are far more dangers than, than James lists here, he hits four ungodly uses of wealth. In verse 2 and 3, it's holding the wealth, right? Keeping it for yourself. In verse 4, cheating people out of money. In verse 5, living in luxury while disregarding the needs of others. In verse 6, hating innocent people for the sake of gain. Uh, these seem to, to move in a progression from uh, the least to the west. Y yielding to what may seem like a small sin always exposes us to the worst sins, doesn't it? In the early stages, some sin seems, sins seem, seem horrific and, and impossible for us to commit or even think about. But if we yield to, to the seemingly uh, harm, harmless sins, pretty soon we find ourselves excusing or justifying what formerly seemed impossible. So James shows us here, verse 2 to verse 3, that we should be careful not to hold wealth. Uh, these people had so much stuff that it was rotting in the storage. Uh, think about it. What good a barns full of grains if when you go to get a bag full of it, it's spoiled and full of mold. What good is it? Uh, what good are ten changes of clothes if when you go to get something out of the closet, it's, it's moth eaten? What good is a bank full of jewels if you are afraid to wear them for fear of being robbed? It should be noted, even when we saw last week, uh, what we saw last week, that the, the Bible commands us to, to provide for our families and our, and our own needs, right? But it condemns holding our money and possessions when it can be put to use to further the Lord's work and, and to help others, to, to, to show compassion. Remember that this is James, what he's saying, right? We saw that James said true, um, true Christianity, authentic Christianity, is, is, is characterized by showing compassion to the needy. Then he shows us, in, in, I think in chapter, 
two, when he talks about faith, right? That faith without works is dead. And one of the, 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 the descriptions or one of the displays of, of faith is when we avail ourselves to help people in need. We, we are supposed to be good stewards with our resources, right? We, we should not be irresponsible. We, we, we should take care of our families. We should take care of ourselves. But we should also consider others. Uh, where that balance point is, I cannot tell you, right? I mean, I'm, I'm not your financial advisor. I'm your pastor. You, you know. Uh, but think about it this way. Often times behind our holding attitude is either the sin of greed or a lack of trust in God to provide for our future needs. Don't spend your life collecting junk that you will never use. Be generous with your resources. Just as Jesus Christ was generous by giving himself for your salvation. Christians by nature must be marked by generosity. In verse 4, James shows us that we should be careful not to cheat people out of money. Do you see that progression from the list and going? to the West. James was denouncing wealth, the wealthy landowners that were cheating their laborers out of their head had end wages. Whether they were not paying them the full amount promised or cheating them on the pretext that they had not fulfilled their quotas or whatever, we, we, we don't know. But it was a common enough problem to be mentioned several times in the Bible. Think about Leviticus 19 verse 13. This is what God says. He says, you shall not oppress your neighbor or rob him. The wages of a hired worker shall not remain with you all night until the morning. Often in that economy, day laborers got by on a day's wage. When, when Lorato was preaching from um, Matthew 20, he mentioned that point, right? It was a day's wage. In other words, to withhold it from some false pretenses would literally rob the worker and his family of their daily bread. Uh, most of us, not in the position of paying wages to workers, uh, we, we are not in that position, right? Most of us. Uh, but if we are, we should be generous and fair. I don't want to digress so much, but I think it's, it's really weighing in on my, on my heart. When you, when you, when you look at Rustenburg and, and the economical hardships of, of Rustenburg, there are many people on corners. There are women who go door to door looking for menial jobs um, to, to clean and to iron and, and do things. And, 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 and people happily um, sometimes take these people. 
right? But the problem is, in doing that, they do so knowing that they can take advantage of these people. If, if uh, 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 you know, a formal worker is paid 300 a day or, or 200 a day, you know that with this desperate person, I can get 100 rand for a day's job. Just as James is looking at these people, these this landowners and these wealthy people, and, 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 and he's denouncing them for taking advantage of people, for, for robbing people. I, I think we, are, we fall into that trap as well a lot of times. We, we try to bargain with people over their labor trying to cheat them of their wages. We take bread out of the mouth of people. Even as Christians, how sad is that? In verse 5, in verse 5, James shows us there here that we should, we should be careful not to live in luxury and self-indulgence. Uh, Jesus' story of the rich man and Lazarus in, in Luke chapter 16, 19 to 31 may be behind James's words here. The rich man lived in splendor while Lazarus, covered with sores, longed to be fed with the crumbs from the rich man's table. Uh, but after death, their, their roles were reversed. The, the rich man was in agony in the flames of hell, whereas Lazarus was comfortably in Abraham's bosom. The, the, the point of that story was not that all rich people go to hell and all poor people go to heaven. That was not the point of the story. The, the Bible is clear that there are godly rich people and there are also ungodly poor people. Salvation is not by being poor. Salvation is by grace through faith in Christ alone for the glory of God alone. But the rich man's selfish indulgence and lack of compassion for the poor reflected that he is godless. He is selfish in his focus of life. James's indictment of fattening their hearts in verse 5 for a day of slaughter points to the imminence of the day of judgment, that it is coming, it is near. They were like unreasoning cattle. Uh, they, they just go on fattening themselves every day with no thought of others. But their selfish lifestyle only invites greater guilt. I realize that luxury is a relative term, right? Um, someone in the village would usually think that someone in, in the township is living in luxury. Someone in the township would think that someone in the city is living in luxury. Someone in the city would think that someone in the suburb is living in luxury, and so on and so forth, right? It is usually a, 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 a relative term, and it's easy to judge the extra, extra, um, using extravagant example to justify ourselves. But we need to examine ourselves prayerfully and often so that we don't fall into what James is condemning here. Right? I believe that the Lord wants us to live simply and to, to manage our resources in light of his eternal purposes. 
Uh, when we come to, to, to see, uh, I've said this before, when we come to see our resources um, as, as, as God's resources that have been entrusted to us, then we start to have a good perspective about them, right? Uh, your, your goal when you, when you are paid at the end of the month is not to fill your, your wardrobe or your closet with, with shoes or, 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 or whatever that you can think of. You start to have the right perspective on why God has given you what he's given you. Why you have that car. Why you have that house. Why you have that money. You start to see them as you are supposed to see them. They are temporal. They are going to stay in this world. They are supposed to take care of you and your family. And also you are supposed to be generous with them. Right? I'm not saying don't have insurance. I'm not saying don't save up for the future. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying in whatever you do, generosity must also characterize you. In verse 6, the last verse, he, James shows us that we should be careful not to hurt innocent people for the sake of our prophet. Something that James is speaking of, of literal murder here Others say that he's speaking figuratively or, or, or looking at the practical outcome of the, of the rich cheating the poor out of their wages and thus of their daily bread. Uh, he also uses the word condemned. And the, the word condemned here points to the use of the legal system to take advantage of the poor. Perhaps by bribing judges or by hiring powerful lawyers, the rich were wrongfully taking land or houses from the poor uh, or, or forcing them into a lifetime of indentured slavery. If you had confronted them and went to them and confronted them, the rich would, would protest to you saying, it was all legal. We didn't break any law. I mean, the, the judges are on our side. The, the law is on our side. But what is technically legal is not always moral or right. Right? Nazi Germany was legal. Wasn't it? It was legal. But was it moral? Was it right? While we may never kill someone for, our, for the sake of our own financial gain, we should be careful as well never to hurt others for our own financial gain. And note too here that the righteous man did not resist the wicked rich. It is not wrong to take legal means to protect ourselves or our assets from a greedy and principled person. But in this case, the poor were, not, were, not, were no match for the rich. In this life, it, it often seems that the wicked are always winning, right? They are always winning. But James's point is that judgment day is near and wrongs will be made right. And we'll see that next week in verses 5, verses 7 and 8. So, so wealth can be a trap, in other words. We must be careful not to use it in an ungodly manner. A businessman once had, a, had an angel visit him. This is not a true story, eh? I'm not talking about angel visitations. Uh, so a, 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 a businessman had an angel visit him, uh, promised to, promising him to grant one wish. Ah, man, what will you do? So, so, so the, the, the man asked for a copy of the stock market page 
one year into the future. As he was studying the numbers on the future exchange and, and gloating over how he would make, uh, how much he would make uh, because of his knowledge of the future, he glanced across the page and his picture was in the obituary column. Suddenly, his new wealth faded into insignificance in light of his own death. See, wealth is a good tool if we are careful to use it as stewards for the Lord. But it is a dangerous trap if we adopt a worldly perspective towards it. And I encourage you this morning to examine um, yourself, examine your stewardship of the resources that God has trusted you with. Examine how your attitude towards it. Examine how you, you treat it, how you handle it. And let me say, examine even how you raise your children with regards to wealth. Augustine said about his parents that the reason they sent him to school, and that was um, something that became a pang for him in the future, they always told him, go to school, work, and make a lot of money. I think we should start teaching our children to go to school, work, and be of change in the world. Doesn't matter if they make a lot of money or not. They should make a lot of money if they can, if they are gifted to do so. But it is not all about making money, is it? The reminder from Paul's where it says in Second in First Corinthians chapter four, verse two, that we should be considered as stewards. He says, moreover, it is required that stewards be found faithful. Amen. Our dear Heavenly Father, our Lord and God, we are immensely foolish, but you are all wise. And so, in our mistakes, in our sins, in our shortfalls, we run to you, the God of wisdom, we pray that you help us, O oh God, to see you um, as, as, as our ultimate and supreme treasure, uh, to see the things that we have as, as coming from you, as you are the giver of good gifts. And we pray that we will use all that you have entrusted us for your glory, for the honor of your name, and not for our selfish ends. May you be honored, O oh God, as you teach us your truth as a church, as a people. We honor you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.